Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. Man, I was so emotional this morning. Y'all, y'all sung a song that's very personal to me. Um, y'all know I came to Faith in Christ over 20 years ago. I was in prison. And it was the hardest environment I've ever been in to be a Christian, between the persecution from inmates and the guards, people spit on you, all type of stuff every day. And those of us who were Christian, uh, we would meet together on the cell blocks at 7 p.m. every night and pray. And everybody would just laugh at us and mock us the whole time. And when guys felt like giving up, we would sing that song, We've come this far by faith. Leaning on the Lord, right? Trusting in his holy word. He's never failed me yet, right? Oh, can't turn around. We've come this far. Thank you. Yeah. Last time I heard that song, I sung that song was the night before they released me from prison. Yeah. I needed that. I would go home now, but I just got to keep serving because I'm, I'm full. <laughs> but honestly, if you're going to follow Jesus through persecution, through suffering, through bad news, through rejection, through depression, through thoughts of suicide, through loss. You're going to follow him when you don't got it. You're going to love your enemies and wash their feet and hug them after they give their life to Christ. And you're not going to give up. You got to have some serious anchors and assurance about the one that you follow in. Because there's this idea that, I don't know, you know, the prosperity gospel has like tore things up. There was like, you come to faith in Christ, and if you just have faith, you're going to have perfect health. All your kids are going to come to faith in Christ. You'll never get cancer, heart disease. You'll never get hurt. You'll never lose your job. But if you want something that will hold you down, a faith that's been tested by fire, tested by trial. I know some of y'all, y'all like, man, you singing from your belly because you've seen some things. Thank you, Lord. You made a way. You saved me. Then you got to have some assurances when it comes to your relationship with Jesus because if you got your daddy's faith, a Sunday morning faith, but not like a hospital bed faith, not a prison cell faith, not a I'm going through divorce, how did we get here faith? Not a child, my child got cancer faith. I got to go to this funeral again of faith or this person hurt me faith and I still have to love them faith. I can't sit in bitterness faith. Where are you God but I'm not going nowhere faith? Then you have to know something about the one you're following or you're not going to follow him. And so this week's message has been personal to me as well and has ministered to my soul because there's, there's three assurances here 
that you have to know about Jesus. It don't matter what part of the world you live in. It don't matter what country you're in, what language you speak. It doesn't matter what your hardship is right now. I guarantee you, and I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I'm not trying to preach something to you. I'm not living myself. If you hold on to these three truths, they will carry you all the way home until you see him face to face and he starts wiping those tears. So the title of this morning's message is three assurances for Christ followers. Three assurances for Christ followers. If you just bow your head, I want to pray for you because I know some of you are in the pit. Some of you can't lift your head and you've come a long way by faith. I want to just pray for you right now. God, you know every person seated in this room. You know everyone watching online. You know our fears. You know our struggles. And we're thankful that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. God, you know what it feels like to suffer, Jesus, to be rejected, to not have a lot. God, I thank you that I serve a God that knows what it feels like to be incarcerated. And so, Lord, I just pray that this morning, this Sunday morning, you would remind your sheep of the three guarantees, the three assurances that they can have. And if they hold on to these truths, no matter where they are in life, no matter what they're going through, they would be encouraged. They would be full of hope. And they would continue on, Lord, because we, we come too far. We can't turn around. So, God, I pray that you would bless your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet me in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And we're looking at another famous passage. Mark chapter 8. And we'll begin in verse 1. And there's three assurances that you can have and you can know about Jesus if you're a follower of Christ. And here's assurance number one. Jesus is sensitive to our needs. Let me just say that to you this morning. Jesus is highly sensitive to your needs. Even though you question him, even though you're like, man, God, where are you? Do you see this? He is very sensitive to your need. Where do you get this from? Mark chapter 8, verse 1 says this. I'm reading from the ESV translation. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Man, this is a powerful verse here, passage. Jesus says, look with me in verse 2. He says, they have been with me. Now, for three days. This, if you have a highlighter, a pen, underline that because that's the anchor for everything that we're talking about. It's not just a crowd. They have been with me for three days. Everything flows from this truth. They are with Jesus moment by moment for the last few days. They have been walking with him. They have been seeking his teachings and listening to him, listening to his voice. They are not with Jesus because they want something. They are with Jesus because they want him. 
That's the foundation of their faith and their walk. I want you. Not simply what you can give to me. What makes one a true disciple of Jesus Christ is not only that they have repented and believed by faith, but that they are abiding in him. They are walking with Jesus, that Jesus can say, she has been with me. He has been with me. Let me ask you, beloved, have you been with him? Can Jesus say that about you, my sister? She has been with me. We ain't even just talking about what she's gone through. She has been with me. She is with me. He has been with me. Not just she believes in me. Not just he serves me faithfully. No, he's with me. Because that's often, as I often teach, you could do a lot for Jesus and not be with Jesus. The Christian life, before we move on, is centered around two big buckets. The first bucket is centering your heart and your mind on Jesus. Moment by moment, second by second, it's bigger than just doing devotions in the morning. Jesus said, I am the, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you don't stay connected to me, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says that, and we hear that, and we're like, yeah, but have you seen my resume? Don't you know my connects? Don't you know how long I've been at this job? I'm a good parent. I'm a good counselor. I got wisdom. He says, look, apart from me, you can do nothing if you don't stay connected to me. So the Christian life is a moment-by-moment fighting to stay connected to Jesus. Mind drifting, anxiety coming, challenges arising, people getting on your nerves and trying to stay connected to him. And when you drift, you feel lost, you feel soul weary. So the Christian life is one, centering your heart and mind on Christ, being with him, and then moment by moment yielding to the spirit. Not my strength, not my wisdom, your ways. That means you have completely given yourself over to him. They have given themselves over to him. They've been walking with him three days. I ain't going nowhere. I'm not listening to nobody else. I'm in your presence. You direct me. This means you always have to stay connected to him. Have you noticed how much your life changes when you don't have cell phone reception or you have connection to Wi-Fi? You don't know how to function. Ain't no Wi-Fi here. Ain't no cell phone reception here. You, you, you checked out. Right? The Christian life is like that times 100. It, the Christian life wasn't designed for you to live disconnected from Christ at any moment. You can't be like, you know, treat, treat your Christian walk with the Lord like you're going to BP gas station. Let me fill up on Sunday and let it carry me through the week. Let me try to now flesh it out. I'm telling you as a pastor, that's what Christians do. They try to apply all of this in their own strength. It's a second by second, Lord, if you don't, if you don't carry me right now. If your peace doesn't overflow my mind right now, I'm going to go this way, that way. It's no wonder the Lord compares us to sheep who constantly go astray. And so notice here Jesus' response as we kind of anchor that, that they're with him. They've been walking with him. Notice his response in verse 2 and 3. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Notice the three things he says. I have compassion on them. You want to know how Jesus feels about you? I have compassion for her. I have compassion for him. I have compassion for them 
Look, I am aware that they have been with me. They've been with me for three days now. I'm aware that you're walking with me, my daughter. I'm aware that you're walking with me, my son. And listen, look how sensitive he is in verse 3. And some of them have come from far away. I know what it's cost some of you. You've lost friends, family, walked away from jobs, walked away from things to follow me. Here's a thought. When you walk with Jesus, he takes full responsibility for your life. That right there was a reminder I needed this week. Beloved, Jesus didn't just die on the cross and then be like, all right, I'll holler at you. I'll see you in heaven. He's taken full responsibility for you, mind, body, soul, beginning with dying for your sins, placing his spirit within you, full responsibility for you. Jesus is completely aware of their needs and their current state, and he wants to do something about it. Oh, beloved follower of Christ, I want to remind you, you never have to question if Jesus knows, sees, or cares about you. Do you know what's going on? Do you see my situation? Do you even care? It's always a yes. Why? Because Jesus has assumed full responsibility for you. That's what's happening right here. He's like, man, I have compassion on them. They've been walking with me. I know they need something to eat. He's not talking about their wants. He's talking about their needs. I know you got a long list of wants. I know you would live on like a remote island somewhere if you could. Sitting on the beach all day. That's what you want, but Jesus knows what you need. <laughs> all right? And he's sensitive to the needs. No matter where you are in this world, listen to me, no matter where you are in this world, that's why that song hit different for me. No matter what city you are living in or you move to, no matter what challenges arises in your life, no matter who gets elected as president this year, no matter what your family and friends are like, no matter how toxic your family is, no matter how your friends have been there for you or not been there for you, no matter what sin struggle you are battling, and no matter how weak you feel this morning, Jesus has assumed full responsibility for your life. That's encouraging. And he says it himself, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 32, Jesus told them, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or whatever question you would have. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Listen, and your heavenly fathers knows that you need them all. I am sensitive to what you need, and I know what you need. You praying, you're not bringing new information to Jesus. You're just connecting with Jesus. You're abiding with Jesus. But it's not like when you're like, man, let me tell you what happened this week, and you pour your heart out. He's like, wow, I didn't know that. He knows the prayer that you're going to pray today. He heard it 10 years ago. And the prayer you're going to pray next week it's not like he hasn't heard that. You're not bringing to him new information. He knew every, every prayer you will ever say when he hung on the cross and you weren't even born yet. He's God. He transcends time. Romans 8, 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, listen, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, which implies that if you have the Spirit of Christ within you, you belong to him. That has to be the foundation of your theology and how you move every day. I belong to him. He says it. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul says it's not I who live, right? I've died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You like, nah, this is my life. And the world is like, live your life. If you don't start with, no, I live the life of Christ. He lives through me. Then no wonder everything that you, all the decisions, the way you view and all the letdowns, you're so discouraged because you're like, nah, I'm not laying down on the altar for you, Jesus. You don't live through me. I'm going to live my life until I get to glory. And then we can continue with everything else. No, 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 no. You have been crucified with Christ. You belong to him now. You are not your own. You have been adopted into God's family. You in a whole different structure. Don't let Satan bamboozle you and make you take the whiteboard and fill out your plans that don't work that way. I needed this today to remind myself, John, you belong to him. You belong to him. He will care for you. So let me just ask you this question. I want you to really think about this. Think about this for your own self. How would you live this week if you were grounded in these three truths? I belong to Jesus. He has assumed full responsibility for me, and he is sensitive to my every need. Think about that, y'all. I'm talking, I'm, think about that. If you just think about today and this week, and this was like something that you're grounded in. I belong to Jesus. He has assumed full responsibility for my life, and he is sensitive to my every need. How would you then go about your week? Doesn't mean you won't get trials. It doesn't mean you won't have storms or hear bad news. But that is very encouraging for me on my journey home to glory, that I belong to him. I'm literally his possession. He's assumed full responsibility for me, not just on the cross with salvation, but for my life. And he is sensitive to my every need. Even though I try to put wants on his plate as prayer requests, and even in those moments, he still knows how to give his kids good gifts. Three assurances for Christ followers. Assurance number one, Jesus is sensitive to our needs. Here's the second assurance. Number two, Jesus is patient with our ignorance. You got a lot of growing to do. I got a lot of growing to do. And Jesus is patient with us. Verse four, and his disciples answer him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place, in this wilderness? Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So Jesus says, man, I have compassion on this crowd. They've been with me now for three days. I'm sensitive. Some of them come from far away. I know what they sacrificed to get here. Some of them are going back home to rejection for leaving their town to follow this Messiah. And I want to take care of their needs. And his disciple says, well, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place, in this wilderness? Translation, what are they saying? 
How can you or we provide them, provide for them in such a dry wilderness when there isn't food or a store for miles? Now, what's crazy about this statement, y'all, is we haven't been in Mark for a while, but if you could think back, two chapters before, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus provides for 5,000 people, taking five loaves and two fish. We in chapter 8, this happened in chapter 6. So this is like a couple weeks back, Jesus feeds 5,000 Jews, and there were probably more than that because it said 5,000 men, so that's not including women and children. 5,000 Jews, and now Jesus is with 4,000 Gentiles. Will he provide the same miracles for those who are considered unclean like he did for the Jews? And here we are probably a couple weeks away from this great miracle where Jesus said, how much y'all got, five loaves, two fish? Let me get that. And he provides for everybody, and now that we're out here two weeks later with the Gentiles in the wilderness, the disciples have the audacity to Forget what Jesus just did. How can you or we, how can anybody feed them in this desolate place? You know, the disciples, their weaknesses, if you read through all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, their weakness, weaknesses and their ignorance is always on full display. It's like you see their weaknesses more than their strengths. Like if you study the Gospels, you see um, they're constantly arguing about being first or being the greatest. Not just on one occasion, it's like they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. That self-exaltation. At one point, they asked their mother to go ask Jesus and ask him, can we sit at his right hand? They constantly doubt Jesus over and over and over. They question him at times. They rebuke little children for coming up. Get out of here. Who are you? Their racial and cultural biases are seen. They don't like the Samaritans. Call them dogs. Can't stand the Romans. Don't like tax collectors. And they all abandon Jesus when he's at his lowest point on the cross. And yet Jesus walks with them for three years. There's something that you and I can learn there. When it comes to relationships, can I just give you all a heads up? When it, when it comes to relationships, and we learn from Jesus with his, uh, his disciples here is, if you're going to be in any deep, meaningful relationship, whether it's marriage or friendship, it means that you will see each other's weaknesses. Now, we all say, yeah, but here's the truth about people. We want depth without baggage. It just don't work that way. Like, you can either live in isolation or you can be around a bunch of people that, you know, you just go to this level with. But if you're going to be in any deep, meaningful relationship, you will hurt one another. That's why your family know you like the back of your hand. You're your authentic self around them. Because every single person in this room has baggage. I talk to couples about this all the time. I'm like, you know she or he's bringing a, a suitcase full of baggage, good and bad. And when you get to the altar, you're making a commitment to embrace all that's in there. And anybody you're going to do life with, you're going to embrace all that comes with that. And we often see each other's strengths first. We see each other's weakness. We're like, I don't want that. And we do what? Cut one another off. That's not what Jesus does here. And why is that important for you to know? Because when people see your weaknesses, when people see your baggage, you tend to do one of two things. You either withdraw from the relationship or you question the relationship. What I mean by withdrawal from the relationship? Why you ain't been around? Why you ain't tell me you was going through that? Oh, man, I ain't really want to bother you. 
man, I didn't want to be a burden to you. So you isolate. You start to withdraw. Or you question the relationship. Man, I know she's tired of me right now. Man, he must be tired of me because, man, I'm, I'm back in this ditch over and over. And over. Who told you that? And you don't just do it one another. You do it with God. Man, I can't go back to the Lord again. I done prayed this prayer 30 times already, 100 times already. I know, question the relationship. Man, I know God must be tired with me right now. Where do you get that from? Maybe the disciples felt that way. But here's what I want to encourage you with. You are never a burden to Jesus. He is patient with our ignorance and gladly takes our burdens upon himself. In fact, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, you got burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. And the way you function sometimes in relationships, you can't apply that to Jesus. Well, let me question your love for me, Lord. I know I'm too much of a burden to you. Man, I'm, I'm repenting of the same thing again. And then you start to project on him how you think about your dad, your mom, that person who hurts you. That's not Jesus. You see the disciples' flaws over and over and over and over in the Gospels, and yet you don't see Jesus every five seconds. You did this, you did that, I'm cutting you off. He's patient with them. And so they doubt in verse 4. And his disciple says, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? They've seen him feed 5,000 people, and they've watched him heal every single day, y'all. Just last week, we were looking at the Syrophoenician woman get healed, the man who couldn't see being healed. They watched him heal every single day. So how are y'all struggling right now? And the problem is, it's the whole thing when we said we've come this far by faith. They're struggling with faith. They can't see a clear path for provision in the wilderness. They can't, they don't have a path or a plan. They can't think of a plan. And that's where you hit a ditch in your walk with Christ. You think of every which way he could do whatever and provide. And when you're like, man, I can't see how it's going to happen, you stall. You stop walking by faith. Because you're like, well, I can't figure it out. How many times have you said that to God? I can't figure it out. One of the reasons we struggle to follow God closely is because we love to have a clear plan. We love to receive a clear plan, and God doesn't work like that, y'all. He doesn't. Your job might work like that. What's the plan for 2024? God doesn't work like that. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't make plans. It means that you should always hold them loosely. Jesus said, don't even talk about tomorrow like that. He said, if, if God wills. Can I just tell you something? I've shared my story with you plenty of times about how God called Danielle and I to Chicago. We got married in 2011 in February, and by July we were here. And one thing I don't really talk about in there is there's many people who encourage and support us, but there was a lot of people who questioned me because I didn't have a clear plan. And I'll be honest, I, I felt to the point like I would be in sin. Like, it's like I, would turn to, I would read the word, and every day it was like Scripture was jumping off, and all God said was, go to Chicago and go to Moody Bible Institute. He didn't say plan a church. He didn't say do this. He didn't say there long. It was go to Chicago and go to Moody Bible Institute. There was like, because I was on parole, there was like 30 things that had to work out perfectly. Or I would land here and go back to jail just because paperwork got messed up. It was terrifying. And when I came here, I only had 700 bucks. 
No job lined up. And I'm, 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 I'm being honest. I wouldn't even recommend it. I'd be like, well, you don't got a job set up. You don't got this. You don't got, right? <laughs> totally. I get it. But we were in a place where it was like, when you know God is speaking, you feel like, man, I'll be in sin if I don't do this. Like, I'm like in sin if I don't do this. And it's not just I feel, because you got people who all day long, God told me, God told me, God told me. When I don't hear receipts, I'm like, well, <laughs> does that align as he spoke to you through his word? Because Satan is a great manipulator. Right? And so, like, would you, like, but this is where we were. And I remember one time I wanted to back out, and I said to Danielle, I was like, man, maybe we shouldn't do that. And she was like, no, no, no. Danielle had never saw Chicago till we was unpacking from U-Haul. Never been here a day in her life. So much of my thought process, God never told me about Chicago West. That wasn't our plan. I didn't even want to go to Chicago. Chicago was the place I was born and where my mother experienced a lot of trauma and had to leave. And I can't even talk about a lot of that publicly. It wasn't a place I didn't want to go to, and I didn't plan to be there longer than three or four years. But God said, here's the first step. I'm going to make 30 things work miraculously. That seems impossible because legally you're not supposed to be able to even go there, and he worked all that out. And all I'm telling you right now is I want you to go to Moody Bible Institute. And as I got there, there was other things he said. God doesn't tell you the 10-year plan all the time. He's just like, hey, go there. Right? Dr. King said, faith is taking the next step even when you can't see the whole staircase. And a lot of times, walking by faith, and I learned that in prison, man, it's day by day. Lord, help me to make it back safely today. What do you need me to do today? Turn right. Turn left. Don't go anywhere. Pause for a moment. Don't move without me. Oh, God, here's a great opportunity. Slow down. And so the disciples are in this situation where they're trying to process, and it doesn't make sense to them, and they don't have a plan for how God can provide. But yet they have the plan, Jesus, with them. And so much of when I was here in Chicago, my first few years here, I had all these great things. I was like, yeah, man, we're going to go over here and do this and do that. But the thought process, process was filtered through what I thought was good and what I thought glorified God in my eyes. And I will tell you, like, 95% of that didn't happen. But man, I didn't know about Chicago West and God saying, plant the church here and do this and do that and do this and do that. Why am I saying all that? Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The disciples right now, their ignorance is on clear display. They are more focused on the location and the challenges of the situation, the wilderness, than the power and presence of the God they serve. And listen to me, y'all, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, well, what's wrong with y'all? Y'all embarrassing me. I spend every single day with y'all. He doesn't scold them in front of everybody. How y'all going to forget what I just did for the Jews two weeks ago? Didn't I just heal someone just on the way here? He doesn't do that. You know what he does? <laughs> this is crazy. He repeats the same lesson over and over until they get it. He asked them the same question he asked them in chapter 6. In chapter 6, he says, what do you have in your hand? What you got? And they said, five loaves, two fish. This time, look in verse 5, he says, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And he said, seven. You would think when he would ask them the same question he asked them last time, that that would like trigger something. Oh, we've been asked this before. Remember when he provided for like five to 10,000 people two weeks ago? Oh, he could do it again for the Gentiles that we don't like. Jesus asked them the same question again. You know what will happen when God is doing? He's sanctifying you. 
He's bringing you home to heaven. And if you don't get it, he just gives you the faith test again. He stretches your faith again, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And then you're crying again, and again, and you're weary again, and again, and you're trying to walk on water again, and again. And in fact, instead of scolding you, he's like, oh, you didn't make it through the Red Sea? Well, now we're going to have the Jordan River. <laughs> Everybody thinks, you know, God, God didn't part the sea once, he parted twice, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. He did the Red Sea for Moses, and he did the, the Jordan River for Joshua. Don't be so forgetful. And so if you're like, man, we've been here before, God is like, I know. <laughs> I'm patient and long-suffering. I'm going to get you to the place where you can say with Paul, I have learned in all points to be content. Whether I have a lot or I have little, it is well with my soul. Whether I can see it or I can't see it, whether the Lord provides or not, I'm not going to stop singing because we've come this far by faith. Leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word, he has never failed me yet. Oh, 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 can't turn around because we've come this far by faith. And they're stuck, stuck. But you're going to see later on after Jesus dies on the cross and goes back to heaven, they're all talking about faith. Jesus is patient with your ignorance. Rather than shaming and rebuking you, in love, he simply repeats the process until you grow in faith. Parents do that. I'm going to keep telling you to tie your shoe and show you how to do it until you figure it out. I'm going to show you how to make your bed. I'm going to show you how to do this math problem. Teachers do that, right? Praise God for our teachers. You have to be patient with the kids. Oh, you wrote five, two plus two is not five, and you scold them? No. You patiently say, you add this, you do this, you count on, right? God is so tender and loving. Now, I know it's easy for you to get mad at him, but he's going to keep you in that pressure cooker because it produces so much fruit. And he'll send one storm after another storm. And if you think that this storm is over and you're not going to go through anything else, <laughs> well, I love our seasoned saints. They're like, man, I'm just going to sing now. Ain't nothing else. I done seen it all. <laughs> I done checked every box. There ain't nothing else, you know. I thank you, Lord. You've been so good. You made a way. You know, it's like the older you get, even now as I'm starting to get older, like you just start to move a little slower. When you're young, you're in a rush for everything. Everything. You're like, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. As you get older, you're just like, I just want to be with God. You just move a little slower. These are three assurances for Christ followers. And the second assurance we can have is that you can know that Jesus is patient with our ignorance. That yes, you have weaknesses and you are growing, but Jesus is patient. Here's the third and final thing. Jesus is the source of our provision. So verse 5, it says, And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Listen, verse 6, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Man, it's leftovers now. 
And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Look at verse um, 6 here. He, well, verse 5, he asked the disciples how much you got. And in verse 6, once they say they got seven loaves, it says, then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. Jesus begins giving directions. I need you to listen to me. Do this. Have a seat, y'all. Start breaking down the 50s, groups of 100s, groups of 25. He's giving them direction before he provides anything. You can't wait to see provision before you start moving in obedience. That's faith. And what happens with y'all is God is like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And because you can't see it, you stall and you don't move. He doesn't like drop the fish first and the food first and then say, now y'all in excitement sit down. He says, start sitting down in groups. Hey, hey, my leaders, I want you to start directing them and getting them to sit down. So now the disciples are sitting there trying to lead people and direct people. And if everybody's like, well, where are we eating? Where are we getting it from? He's like, I don't know. I just know Jesus said to do this. This is the next step. The next step. Sit down. Start moving, right, before you see anything. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and what God said to Abraham? I want you to, you've been waiting so long to finally have that son that I've given the promise of, promise for. And as soon as Isaac was born, God said, I want you to sacrifice him. The very son you love, the very thing you've been waiting for, as soon as I give it to you, I want to see if you'll give it back to me. And so uh, Abraham takes Isaac, and they're going up to Mount Moriah, and Isaac's going along the way, and as soon as they get there, Abraham lays down the wood, sort of make, and Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood in the altar, <laughs> but where's the sacrifice? <laughs> right? Abraham says one of the most powerful statements ever, the Lord will provide. Oh, my gosh. So powerful. God, 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 where, where are you at? Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. The Lord will provide. How can Abraham say something like that? Because he is anchored in his God. He knows who he is. And he's like, I know what God's will is because he told me to do this. I know he wouldn't take my son from me because he gave me a promise through him. So either he's going to resurrect you from the dead or something's going to happen. Because here's what I know. He said that everything is to flow through you. But because I can't question how it's going to work out and I can't see it, I can't now say, well, I'm not going to go to Mount Moriah and do what you said because you said you was going to. No, God, whatever you tell me to do. Wherever you tell me to go, that's what I will do by faith. That's why Abraham is known as the father of faith and all that. And so he gets there and he's like, man, I'm, I'm as lost as you are, but I know what I'm not, disobedient. And so I'm going, and as I'm walking, I'm going to say, you know what? God will provide. I know he will. And the moment, and it says in that passage that Abraham named that place. The Lord will provide. And as soon as Abraham went to strike him, he said, no, 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 Abraham, don't do that. And God says to him, now I know that you love me even more than your son. Don't do that. I don't want you killing your son. There's a ram in the bush. 
That's a word for somebody here. There's a ram in the bush. God always provides when you are in the center of his will, doing what he calls you to do and abiding in his presence. He will take care of you. He will provide. And so you can be free to know, okay, if I just give myself completely to Christ, he has full responsibility for me. He will take care of me and he will provide. And look in verse 6. It says he directed his disciples, um, the crowd, to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. So his disciples are distributing thousands of loaves of bread to hungry people who are following Christ, bread that was given to them from Jesus, and it says the people ate and were satisfied. Jesus is the source of of their provision. Now imagine the disciples taking credit when everybody's like, man, thank you so much for making this meal and cooking for I didn't do a thing. He did it. I'm just passing it along. All that you have comes from him. All that you have comes from him, belongs to him, because you belong to him. Stop thinking everything you own belongs to you. It belongs to him. And I want to say to you, loved one, as you followed Christ this morning, always remember you belong to Jesus. He has assumed every uh, full responsibility for you, and he is sensitive of every need. Let me say it again. Remember this morning that you belong to Jesus. He has assumed full responsibility for you, and he is sensitive to your every need. And because of this truth, you have no need to be anxious or worry. But just focus on Jesus. So let me just tell you, can I relieve you of the stress? All you got to do is look to Jesus. That's all you're responsible for. Let him take care of everything else. Give yourself completely over to him. I've been reading a book as we close um, called The Joy of Full Surrender. It's a classic Christian book by a man named Jean-Pierre uh, de Cassade. He lived a few hundred years ago. And I came apart where he said this. Um, the whole book is about surrendering to the will of God. He says this, Since God offers to take our cares upon himself, let us place everything in his hands once and for all, leaving them to his infinite wisdom so that we may concern ourselves no more with anything but him. Lord, I'm placing everything in your hands, and I am concerning myself with nothing but focusing on you. Three assurances for the Christ follower. Jesus is sensitive to our needs. Jesus is patient with our ignorance. And Jesus is the source of our provision. As we close out, um, we're going to take communion this Sunday. Um, so if you, where you are, communion is an ordinance instituted by the Lord for those who have placed their faith in Christ, repented of their sins. And he said, um, he took the bread and the cup and he said the bread symbolizes his body that was broken for us and the cup symbolizes his blood that was shed. And he says, as long as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And so I want to spend some time, um, just a few minutes, in leading you in taking communion. And what you do with that is you're, you're remembering Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross, but it's also a time for you to confess your sins and realign with him. Not that you're getting saved all over, but just, God, I need a reset in my heart and mind. And so what I want you to do, if you don't have um, a cup, a communion cup here, can you just raise your hand like this so we could just see? Don't be shy. It's hard to see if it's like at your chest. It's going to give up a little bit. 
But everybody else, if you have one, um, this is time for you to just focus on the Lord. We'll go over service about five minutes a little bit, so we'll be done soon. But if you have a couple, just bow your heads. I want to lead you in a time of prayer. Right now, just bow your head. Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, I want you to pray to Jesus and just finish this sentence. Lord, I confess that I. What would you say to him? Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.